y'all. Welcome to Benevolence, where kindness matters and all are welcome to the table. I'm your host, Ceci Diaz. As always, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for supporting Benevolence Podcast. I pray that as you tune in every week, you are empowered, blessed, and encouraged to be the best version of yourself. You are tuning into Episode 7, I Am Who He Says I Am. And on this episode of Benevolence, I have a very special guest who will be joining me at the table. I'm very excited about today's episode because this woman of God that I've invited has such an amazing testimony and word for you all. About two years ago, her testimony was given in front of a young congregation by the anointed Pastor Mark Vega. Her testimony truly impacted my life in such a way that I personally reached out to her so that she can share her amazing testimony. My special guest is one of the pastors and leaders of the Ignite Life Center in Gainesville, Florida. She is a wife and mother to a precious baby girl. So without further ado, I have Nicole Gomez joining me at the table today. This conversation was recorded digitally due to our season of social distancing. So make sure to sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerful testimony by Nicole Gomez. Enjoy! What has God done in my life? There's so much to say. Um, I um, Just to tell everybody um, a little bit of my story, I... Remember when I was uh, about five years old, I remember I used to be um, watched, I, I, was, I was cared for by my aunt, who eventually ended up being my main, main caregiver in my life. Uh, and I remember being, being cared by her because what had occurred is that when I was four years old, my mom, she had cancer. And uh, not, not too long after I had, um, I had turned four years old, my mom passed away from cancer. And uh, being that she had passed away, that left me with uh, in a home that it was my father and my siblings who were much older than I was. Uh, my father is currently 75 years old and my siblings all range from 47 to, uh, I believe it's like 38. So very much uh, much older than than I was and so here I was in a home that it was my dad who was very much given to alcohol and to his own lifestyle and being that he had just lost his second wife that was his second wife that had passed away my dad was undergoing a lot of pressure and a lot of grief and of course I did not have the support system that I felt like I needed at the, at the home mm-hmm. so ironically after that occurred I ended up being cared for by my aunt for some time. And I remember very vividly this time where I was in her living room and I saw this little girl, you know, she was in her bicycle and she just passed by the window. And I found myself, that was the first time that I realized, wait a second, I'm interested in that little girl. And it was very strange because I had never really thought about that, about myself in that way or anything like that. But here I was at four and a half, five years old and, I was looking at this little girl on her bicycle and I was attracted to her. And so I didn't pay much attention to it. Of course, I was four, four or five years old. You're not really thinking about anything mm-hmm. having to do with your sexuality, but that would come back to really haunt me um, around the age of seven, eight, and nine. And um, some of the things that occurred along the way was uh, when I was growing up, I, I, was, I was in a Christian school. Uh, I was enrolled in a Christian school, and I was a very happy girl for the most part. Uh, I did have a troubled home. Eventually, my dad ended up uh, remarrying, and and who he remarried was not the best 
it was not the best addition to the family at the time because she came with her own baggage, of course. And um, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. I remember uh, seeking refuge in my father and she wouldn't even allow me to enter his room. And of course, if I had, if I had nightmares, I had to go somewhere. And uh, the devil was really toying with me at that point in my life. And I remember having this dream that would replay in my mind over and over. And in the dream, I would be in the, in the lawn of my house and my siblings would be there, but demons would be tormenting, tormenting me. And I would yell out, for them to help me and they would not respond. They would not hear. Mm-hmm. And that was a dream that I remember very vividly. And that was really kind of like the very uh, tender age, tender ages of my life and, and how they were impacted by demonic activity and what the devil wanted for me. So it was very lonely. It was very, um, I felt a lot of, of rejection, which I think it was very unintentional. Of course, you have siblings that are twenties in their twenties and their thirties, they're trying to make their own life. They're not trying to babysit. Um, and so uh, that, was a, that was the context of, of my, grown up, uh, my growing up. And then there was some, some molesting that did occur in school and that it marred my image of, of Christian leadership because I remember having approached uh, teachers and having approached the director of the school to let them know that there was instances of molesting that had occurred in school mm-hmm. and they never did anything or they kind of made it my responsibility of like, well, this is happening because of you. And so that really marred my image. My very little uh, experience with Christian leadership was was marred by those experiences very young, very early on. So that happened. And then of course, all of this kind of uh, started just uh, developing who I was becoming. And because I didn't have anybody and the only person that I really emulated was my dad. I was very broken. I was very, very empty. And I felt very rejected and insecure. And therefore, the only person that I thought that looked secure was my dad. He walked around with so much confidence and he would go out to the school and all the women would be talking uh, to him or about him. And I, I even noticed that at some point he would almost like go to school and drop me off inside because it seemed like he wanted that interaction with the women. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that, in that context, I just started kind of, well, if I'm rejected, if I'm broken, then I have to become like him, you know, because mm-hmm. that's really the definition of confidence in my life. And so I started wanting to, I remember going into his closet where nobody was looking and just wearing his clothes. And mm-hmm. I vividly remember there was like, uh, you know, family parties that we had. And in these family parties, I would literally just wear his clothes and go outside to see what people's reaction would be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people thought it was funny. And then of course, some other fa- family members were like, well, she's just a lesbian or she's just and in Puerto Rico. They call it marimacha and all this stuff. And they would say all these these things. And of course, I would be like, OK, whatever. So I would kind of test it out to see what what would happen. Yeah. So at about at about uh, at eight years old, I realized me and my eight year old brain realized this is not a healthy setting for me. It was really not good. Uh, for me to be where I was. And so I literally confronted my dad and I asked him, hey, would you allow me to go live with my aunt? Uh, I want to go live with her. She lives two hours away and I want to live with her. And this was mm-hmm. back in Puerto Rico. Eight years so old. He thought I was talking about at eight years old. Yes. That's crazy. Um, and he thought I was just talking about the summer. He thought mm-hmm. I was just, okay, yeah, go, go ahead. 
so he let me and mm -hmm. I went to live with my aunt and at the end of the summer I remember he came to pick me up and he was like all right are you ready to go home and I'm like no 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 I meant like this was permanent wow. and uh, myself and my aunt are fully aware that this is permanent so he was like sure you know stay so mm -hmm. I stayed living with, with her and during that time she was going through a very tumultuous time in her life because her daughter had been abducted in Colombia Okay. And because of this stuff, um, yeah, and, and because of everything that was going on, she turned to the gospel. Mm -hmm. So when she turned to the gospel and she turned to, to the Lord, I ended up going to church with her. And that was my beginning uh, of experiences with evangelical church. Mm -hmm. And I remember vividly going to church. And I do remember feeling the power of God. I do remember mm -hmm. enjoying uh, to hear preachers and to listen to the word and to hear prophecy and all these things but mm -hmm. it started to get to a point where it started being confronting to me when pastors would come up to me and say you have a calling and I'd be like no I don't mm -hmm. you know you don't know what's going on inside of me mm -hmm. and multiple times I remember there was specifically a time we had moved down to to Tampa and we were living there and going to this church and the pastor is preaching and all of a sudden he stopped the preaching and he looked at me and he said, you're called to preach to many. You're called to preach to thousands. And I said, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> because I, I was like, you don't know. I know that it's not right to be gay and Christian. Yeah. And you're telling me that I'm going to be preaching to thousands. And mm -hmm. I would tell that in my mind, I would say, no, you're completely wrong. You have the wrong person. God does not want me to do that because he knows that I, I, what, what's going on inside of me, that I have these attractions. Mm -hmm. So when I came to the States, that's when I started kind of realizing, wait a second, at first I would just test it out in mm -hmm. the midst of my family parties to see if I could, you know, dress like a guy, act like a guy, that's what I wanted. And to, you know, uh, be who I wanted. And it wasn't until I arrived here that I saw a more liberal society and a more liberal and accepting culture that I ended up now delving into it. And okay. I was now, you know, buying more guy clothes. I was now more exper experimenting with the conversations that I was having with people. And, um, you know, even I had a, a second life online with this whole, you know, back then it was like chat rooms and all these things that I used to engage in because I was looking for a method to express myself and to be myself, or at least who I thought I was. Yeah. Um, and so all of that was going on and I ended up joining the basketball team and that became my haven because uh, the basketball team, I mean, 85% of the girls there were, were in same-sex attraction, you know, lesbian or bisexual. Mm -hmm. um, and so that became my haven. And that also became a connection piece to a lot of other schools and a lot of other little communities of people that were in the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I really kind of started. I, I oh, Back then, I felt like I was now breathing because I could express myself. I could yeah. dress how I wanted. I, I could do what I wanted. And I started kind of becoming this this little boy in a sense. And mm -hmm. um, that that kind of was uh, the, the formative years of, of high school. And eventually, I ended up now coming to Gainesville, um, which ironically, even through my high school years, I ended up going to this church uh, in Tampa. It was a great church. And uh, I loved going to that church. I used to go to church with my aunt. But the mm -hmm. problem was, whenever I would go to church with my aunt, I would end up getting these prophecies. And I'd be like, no, 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 I can't deal with that. Oh my so God. I ended up asking her. I, I said, look, 
I'll go to church to a church I like if you just let me be. And she said, fine, you know, that that's okay. Go to church, the church that you like, and I'll continue going to mine. Okay. So she would go to, <clears throat> she would go to her church and every so often I would go with her, but I would come, I would come to this other church that I really liked mm-hmm. and um, would go to that church. Pastor was a great guy. Uh, the youth pastor was awesome. He would really look out for me. And so when I ended up getting accepted to the university of Florida, he was like, no, you shouldn't go out there. You're not ready. You're still forming. You know, he was really working with me. He was really trying to help me out trying to determine what was going on with my identity. He was really trying to, to help me. And of course, here I was faced with this opportunity of a lifetime to go to university of Florida or Mm -hmm. stay in Tampa and go to another school. And I was like, pastor, I know you love me and I love you. However, I have to go do what I need to do. And this was at 17 years old. So at 17, I came to, to UF, I came to Gainesville and here I was, you know, alone, no, basically, I think it was two people from my school came to UF. That was it. And um, I was, I was, I was alone. And here I was, what do I do now? What am I going to do? So I saw that this became, Gainesville became my place to really, really be myself because back home, there was a level of myself that I could be, but it wasn't the entirety of who I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And so I came to Gainesville, ended up, um, I tried this going to this one church, didn't work out, didn't feel connected. And I continued then doing my thing. I ended up partying, um, delved completely into a, a lifestyle of just trying to figure out what was going on. And eventually I met this girl and um, we got into a relationship. And in this process, there was a really tumultuous time going on there because I had found out and this was when I was 18 years old I had just found out that my father had done something really hurtful uh after the the passing of my mom Mm. and when I found that out my dad went from being the the thing that I worshipped the person that I worshipped and that I followed and I wanted to be like Mm -hmm. he was replaced now with this girl who I thought okay I can't I can't follow my dad Mm -hmm. and I can't follow his example He's, he just hurt me. He, he, he was deceiving. And now, now I have this other object of worship and here came in this girl and she became my everything. Like my life really surrounded around her and what I would do with her and my time with her. And it became just part of my life and my bedrock. At least I felt it was. And um, here I was finally able to breathe, finally able to be myself, finally dress how I wanted to dress. Even at that point, I started thinking, okay, so should I consider changing my sex? Should I consider? Because my whole thing was, although I knew God, I was like, it's not fair that he made me a girl because, you know, I have these attractions for girls. So he should have made me a guy. And then everything would have been fine. There was no, there would, there would be no sin. There would be no problem. And I was kind of angry at God for making me like that. And therefore I turned my back on him. Mm-hmm. And so completely ended up in this relationship, uh, fully delved into it. And eventually, of course, as any relationship, as any other thing with a human being, as any other temporal thing, it did Mm -hmm. not, it wasn't enough anymore. It wasn't enough anymore. It was not satisfying enough because it's not meant to be. Um, Mm -hmm. It was not fulfilling. It was just I found myself in this cycle, in this circle, and uh, we started having some trouble. 
and I ended up going really, really deep into drinking, into uh, drugs, into partying. I remember school used to be a very important thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. And um, at this point in my life, I wouldn't even pay attention. I was doing bad. My uh, my grades were on the floor. Um, I remember, I remember God literally, the Holy Spirit would insert whenever he would have a chance to. And I remember one time I was, uh, I had a test. I think it was going to be on, the test was going to be on a Friday and it was Thursday night. Mm -hmm. and I did not want to stay home. I was unrest. I was in unrest, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go out, and I remember as I'm heading out to go to the club and do what I needed to do, I remember I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, like, what are you doing? This is not you. You don't don't blow your exams. You don't blow your tests Mm -hmm. to go to the club. You don't do that, but Mm -hmm. even in the midst of that, I'm like, no, close ears. I don't want to hear to whatever's going on. I just don't want to, and um, at that point, I really just went really, really, really into a dark place, mm-hmm. you know, started kind of thinking about suicide once again, mm-hmm. started thinking about, it, it had been something that had been in my mind in high school because of the fight that you have internally of saying, man, I, I think I'm this person and I wanted to be this person, but then I have this other person that I'm telling, that people are telling me I need to be, or that mm-hmm. the church is telling me I need to be, or mm-hmm. that, you know, your parents are telling you you need to be, but I have this other person that I think I am. And this thing that feels good, it feels right. What do I do? In fact, and, and maybe I can share this with you. Um, I literally created this picture during my very first couple of years of college, my first year of college, actually, where I'm dressed as a girl in one side and I'm acting very feminine. And in the other side, which is in the same picture, I got it to like in my editing skills, yeah. I got it to get going there. And on the same picture, I put myself dressed as a guy with very manly features and very manly antics. And that was what I thought was my life. I'm stuck Mm -hmm. in the middle in between these two people. And I don't know which one, which one I am. And I don't know which one I should be. I mean, this one feels right. Mm -hmm. This being a guy, you know, being a guy feels right. I like it. I feel comfortable in it. I feel, you know, protected in it. But this other one is what I'm told I should be. And I feel like I should be in the very depths of my, of my heart. I kind of feel like there is a, a little bit of a, of a remainder uh, of that, that I need to be like this person God yeah. created me to be. But yeah. it was so difficult. You know, it was so yeah. difficult. And I just, I didn't know what I was going on. And because of that, in the depths of the darkness that I was in, drinking, mm-hmm. smoking, uh, you know, going from party to party. I, I remember it was, it was a really dark time and going to the club. And yet I literally remember standing at the club feeling, I don't belong here, number one. This wow. is kind of boring. I'm trying to drink. It doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it was really bad. Wow. It was really bad. And I remember one time driving and I had been under the influence of alcohol and marijuana. I was, I was, um, I, I was doing both mm-hmm. and I was driving and I had been with my friends at a park in the middle of the night. And as I'm driving back home by myself, I remember listening to the Holy spirit. He yeah. told me, is this all there is to your life? Is this all there is to your life? Like, is this it? And I'm like, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you. I remember I even got to the point that in the midst of everything that's going on, I remember meeting this guy at a club. I would have never done this. And I brought him back home. Mm -hmm. And when I I bring him back home, 
And I'm looking at him and I'm like, number one, I'm not really attracted to this guy. I'm not really sure what he's doing in my room. I remember he laid in my bed and I said, please leave my house. And he looked at me like, wait, you just brought me to your house. You brought me into your bed. I thought we were going to do something. And I'm like, just leave. Just, wow. I need you to leave. And he, I remember he looked at me so confused and I was confused. And I'm like, I'm not really sure why I did this. I would have never done this. My, my, my values would have never allowed me to do that. And yet, what is this guy doing in my house? So I kicked him out. I kicked him out. And, um, that was literally what was going on. It was like a a mess. I didn't know how to think right. I didn't know how to, I didn't know like the direction of where I was going whatsoever. I mean, I would go to school, I would do what I needed to do, but that was, it. it was a cycle and everything else inside of me was like, unsure of what was going on Mm -hmm. it it even got to the place and this was the biggest thing in that time of my life I recognized that I was pushing the boundaries of my own value systems Mm. and I would recognize I knew that I was nobody needed to tell me that nobody needed to tell me that I was pushing my value systems every so often the Lord would bring the thought to my mind but you want a family Mm. and I would be like Lord let me just live my life I'm going to live my life until the end. And whenever I get to the end, then, you know, I'll, I'll repent before I die. But this is who I am, God. And and that was my internal struggle with God. Like, it was like, God, you don't understand. And so I remember this, this time, and it was about, it was about this time, March, April uh, Mm -hmm. of 2011. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, I was, uh, I, I, I went to Miami during spring break. Mm-hmm. with some friends. Um, and I remember this became the lowest point of my life. It was so bad, so bad. I remember going to this uh, party and I was, um, the first night, in fact, we were in South Beach with my friends. We're smoking, smoking, smoking. And I'm like, why am I smoking so much? The second night in Miami, we're in a car smoking, smoking, smoking. And I'm like, this doesn't even feel right. It doesn't feel right it doesn't feel freeing. It just feels like I'm hiding something. And it feels like there's an internal battle constantly occurring. And it came to like the third or fourth night of me being down there for spring break, where I was DJing in, in a, in a party in a home. And there was the strangest people in this home. And literally this home was this, this house was so strange. I was in the, in the living room. I was DJing. There's people on ecstasy. There's people doing cocaine. There's people doing all kinds of drugs in this house. And I'm sitting there like my friend brought me here. I'm DJing this, this party, but even the party just seems weird. People are just sitting around doing drugs. Really? That was it. The owner of the house comes up to me and he's like, Hey, thank you for DJing. Do you want some cocaine? He starts cutting the cocaine right next to me. And I'm like, what? am I doing? I remember my friend ended up putting, she was, she was under the influence of ecstasy and she started rubbing her face uh, against my, my leg, against my, my pants. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, Oh, this feels great. And right at that moment, the problem is I was trying to sin so good mm-hmm. yet. I, number one, I was not good at sinning at this point <laughs> because there was an internal battle inside of me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, like, oh my God, what am I doing? I've reached the lowest part of my life. I'm not okay with what I'm doing, yet here I am doing it. And I remember I had to take a, a moment from my laptop. I stood up and I, and I told the guy, hey, I need to go to your restroom. And he told me, 
where the restroom was. I don't remember listening to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down the hallway and I'm looking at the doors, scared to open the doors because I don't know what I'm going to find if mm-hmm. I open a door. Mm-hmm. I finally got to the restroom. It was really, really strange, dirty restroom, weird restroom, used the restroom, went to the, to the, uh, to the kitchen because I was thirsty and I opened the fridge. There was no food. All there was, was weird substances, to be honest with you in the, in the, in the, in the fridge. And I said, I need to leave. I said, I need to leave this place. I told my friend, I said, look, I'm, I can leave the auto DJ on. I need to go get something to drink. I can't. And she's like, Oh, well, there's stuff to drink. I'm like, no, no, I need you to take me somewhere else. So I remember we drove to McDonald's and I told her, Hey, by the way, we're going to go back. We're going to pick up my laptop and we're going to leave. And I remember that that was the really the, the the lowest point of my life where I saw every single day feeling like I wanted to commit suicide mm-hmm. had this internal battle I would try to go to parties I would try to DJ I would try to do this I would try to do the other nothing worked I would try to drink smoke everything even in that the Holy Spirit was still knocking at my door and I'm like mm-hmm. would you leave me alone mm-hmm. and it wouldn't he would not he would not leave me alone he would just not and I remember it was now May of uh, 2011. I ended up going to Puerto Rico. And during this time, I ended up going on this camping trip with my brother. And of course, we are not doing good things. We were smoking. Mm-hmm. He was doing drugs. Everybody was doing drugs. But I remember even in the midst of that, I remember having left the campsite and it was completely deserted. It was, no pe- it was only people, campsites, and fire. That was really all there was. Mm-hmm. And the beach. And I remember I came outside to where the beach was and I looked up to, to, the, to the sky and I felt like something was about to change. I didn't know why, but I felt weird. Even in the midst of what I was doing, I felt odd. And I'm like, what, what is it? The next day I got up and I, I got up with this like overwhelming sense of joy. And I'm like, what is this? I'm not really sure where it's coming from. I'm not sure what's happening, but I just feel like something in my life is about to change. And I feel like there's this joy that's locked up in my heart that wants to explode. Mm. And so I remember I came back to the States. I came back to Gainesville and I saw my ex and we were talking and we had spent some time together. And I remember I looked at her and I stood up from the bed and this is something I actually had to apologize for years later, but I looked at her and I said, listen, you don't satisfy me anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've tried this for so long and you do not satisfy me. And as a matter of fact, I feel this tug to drive to Tampa. I'm not really sure why I'm going to drive to Tampa. I'm going to go. And I got up uh, the next morning and I left, started driving to Tampa. As I'm driving to Tampa, I had been maybe on the road for 30 minutes and I was driving now to Tampa. And all of a sudden I feel like literally the presence of God overwhelmed my car. Now, mind you, when I had bought that car, when I had bought that car, my aunt had laid hands on that car. She mm-hmm. had laid hands on the car and she had prayed over that car. She prayed over the car that, that I would experience the Lord. Yet, mind you, I was not saved at the time. Yeah. And here she was praying for my car. And I remember it was like God just sat in the car wow. and I just started crying. Mm-hmm. I just started crying. I started crying. I started repenting. I started saying, God, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I continue to run away from you. I don't know why I continue to do this. I'm self-destructing at this point. Nothing satisfies me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I remember I literally drove the next hour and a half crying, weeping, 
driving 80 miles per hour, oh red God. eyes. And when I, when I arrived to my aunt's house, I'm like, hey, um, how are you? And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She, I was doing something, came back to the kitchen. She's like, hey, do you want to go to church with me? I said, yeah, I'll go. And she's like, what? <laughs> I remember she was taken aback because the last time I had gone to that church, it had not been good because, again, I, a prophet had come to speak the word of the Lord over my life, and I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, I, um, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to church with you. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. So I remember I went to the church with her, and um, they were in a, in, a, in a circle. And I remember it, this little boy next to me, he was seven years old at the time, remember vividly. He said, um, I just want to testify to the Lord because I've been feeling like something in my life is about to change. And I feel this overwhelming sense of joy in my heart, like it wants to explode. And mm -hmm. I looked at him because I was like, that's what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So I remember it came to me and I said, yeah, I'd like to share something. I said, I don't know what's going on. And I, I, you know, I was not saved. Mm -hmm. And I told them what had occurred. I told them this just happened in my car. And I remember as I'm talking about this, everybody is crying. My aunt is crying. First time I had ever seen her. Wow. The woman who raised me, first time I had ever seen her cry. And so here I was experience, I was experiencing the Lord in a very, very real way. And, um, you know, I was like, man, like, what am I going to do? I got to go back to Gainesville. I don't have a church home. Ended up connecting with this old family member who refers me now to Ignite. Wow. And I ended up going over there. Uh, I ended up going to the church, ended up volunteering for this uh, public relations deal that they were doing. The first day I go to the church, I just went and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna volunteer for this thing. I need, I need to volunteer. Let me just go, go ahead and volunteer. Mm -hmm. I ended up volunteering with it. Now my ex starts getting kind of what's going on. She mm -hmm. starts coming with me to the church. Oh, wow. We both start going to the church because of this whole volunteering situation. We both start going to the church and then there was came this random Sunday. And um, I remember we're there at the church, the church just dismissed. And if anybody knows anything about Ignite, we all like to talk for like two hours after church. Uh -huh. So we're all there and we're there and talking and having a good time. And all of a sudden Pastor Mark com comes to me and my ex and he goes, Hey, um, there's this leadership retreat that we're doing right after, like we're literally driving out to the place. Um, and I want you guys to come to this leadership retreat. And I'm thinking, I'm not a leader. Mm -hmm. What am I going to a leadership retreat for? I don't, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. But everybody's like, yeah, you should come. You should come. Blah, blah, you should come. And I'm like, okay, fine. We're going to go to this leadership retreat. So here we are, me and my ex driving on to this leadership retreat. We have nothing to do with um, and showed up to the leadership retreat and I remember the first night we're literally at the leadership retreat having a good time talking about this stuff we're now uh in a around a campfire everybody's there worshiping the Lord you literally feel the presence of God mm -hmm. and I remember I'm sitting on one side of the circle she's sitting on the other side of the circle the spirit of the Lord literally like it literally landed upon that campfire and I just start crying and she starts crying. We're both crying under the power of God. Wow. And as we're doing that, I remember people started praying and prophesying over us. And I remember, I remember so vividly, Pastor Mark came over to me. He started praying over me and I just surrendered to the Lord. 
I, I had surrendered to the Lord to a degree in my car. But now here I was surrendering to the Lord in a real way in this leadership circle. And she's experiencing the same God I'm experiencing. Because wow. that's the thing. He, he doesn't discriminate. Exactly. And here we are both experiencing the Lord in a very real way. Now, of course, that didn't mean perfection. That, that meant there was a lot of mistakes along the way. We ended up like there was a my first year of salvation was a rough, rough year because she was still around. So I had the very, very real tendency of wanting to be with her and still be in that relationship. And it was a very, very hard process. But I thank the Lord because along that whole process, I remember Pastor Mark, many conversations, Pastor Lisa, many conversations. We did this internship back at that time. It was called Transformed and we still do it. And she was in one class. I was in one class. We're both experiencing the Lord. We're both just really encountering this man we had never really met to that degree in a personal way. And it was, it was crazy. And yes, you know, we made so many mistakes along the way. We were, it was hard because you're now thinking about two people who worship them, worship each other, loved each other, were always around each other. And now the direction is not each other, but rather there's a new person in the triangle. It's God in the triangle. And now you're both looking at him, trying to fall in love with God, trying to learn who he is. And there was a lot of mistakes along the process, but I can certainly tell you that after it all, after this whole process, I'm glad to say that we're both in the right place. Mm-hmm. I, I, from, from what I, from what I know now she's serving the Lord at a church in Texas. And I believe she just got engaged to get married and, and praise the Lord. And wow. now here, here I am where I'm at. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because mm-hmm. my process definitely took a lot. It, it took a lot of tears. It took a lot of coming back to the Lord. It took a lot of understanding that there was going to be a spirit that was going to be coming after me. Mm-hmm. And yet God had captured my heart, but yet there was this, there was these spirits that are still trying to get my attention. There was these spirits that like the Bible says, they come back to the house to check if it's empty or full. And yet here was God overwhelming my heart. I remember I joined the school of ministry. I started encountering God in a way like never before, but like, like we all know there was an onion, there was peeling back that needed to happen. There was this area that needed to be dealt with. So one thing after the other, one thing after the other. And I thank the Lord that I had pastors, that I had leaders, that I had people around me that did not let me, you know, give up along the way because it was not, it was certainly not easy. Mm -hmm. And I had to deal with a lot of insecurity. I had to deal with a lot of rejection. I had to deal with all the hurt that my family, that people, that, that situations that inflicted upon me. And yet God took that time. I remember encountering the Lord in, in my night school of ministry courses, I would sit there and tears would be flowing down my face as I learn about Jesus, as I learn about this man, Jesus, who was very real, real person that wanted everything to do with me. And something that would always strike me was that scripture in Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I'm like, the joy of what? The joy of the fact that he gets to spend eternity with me? That was the joy? Wow. That was the joy that he had along the whole way? It, it really was a, te- it was a period in which God was stealing my heart. And I will tell you, it was, it was full of mistakes. It was full of, of difficulty. But I can, ter- I can tell you for sure that through all of that, I remember a time when God 
would literally take month after month where he would focus on something new. I remember one time he told me, this is why I named you like this. This is why I did this. This is why I would do that. And that's crazy that God, the God of the universe would almost like, it seems like he stopped everything to just really focus on explaining to you why he made you a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I think the mistake that we make is we try to find identity in ourselves or in so many other things, yet you cannot know the make and model of a vehicle and how to work with a vehicle until you read its manual. Mm -hmm. And that was a problem that we tried to find so many resources in so many directions, yet at the end of the day, our identity, our direction is found in his manual. Mm -hmm. And that's the manual for our lives. It's the manual for our lives. It's the manual that we have. It's the manual that he, that it literally spells out everything having to do with us. And it was such a, it it was such a crazy experience to just be able to pause my life for three years and encounter God in such a way. And I remember at 21 years old, being by myself in a prayer room, encountering God where God, finally, I saw why he had made me a woman. Mm. And for 21 years after having struggled with why he had made me a woman, with being angry with God, why didn't you not make me a man so I could like women and live my life and be okay, and wanting to have had sex surgery, and wanting to have had changed my sex, and wanting to have had changed my attire to be like a man for my whole life. Now here I was, finally dropping the guard and going, oh, this is why you made me a woman. Mm -hmm. You made me a woman because a woman was not made just to be the quote unquote helper. That, that word is not the entire definition. Mm -hmm. The word Ezer, which is the word that God used when he said, I would make him a helper suitable. It meant a helper that comes in, in a desperate time of need. And the only other person that holds that definition is God. So you're talking that God and women are using the same definition. Yeah, because God created us to be a desperate help in a time of need. And not only that, but for us to be the answer to some problem, the answer to some situation, the answer, I mean, that you are born with a very purpose. Mm -hmm. And when I encountered all of those truths, I remember just throwing myself on the floor and just weeping. And allowing God to wash every bit of manly antic, every bit of misconception that I had had for Mm -hmm. 21 years. And I will tell you that at that point, I accepted. I accepted being a woman at that point. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until December 20th of 2019, at 29 years of age, that I become a mother, that now I learn what it takes to delight to be a woman. I accepted being a woman. And I loved it. But now I delight to be a woman because now I see the utter strength that God made me with, the utter strength that God allowed me. And now I understand why he made me a woman even more because it's not just, let me just be in this existence. No, God created me as a strong person, mm-hmm. as a woman who gets to connect with her child in a, in a different way. And when I see my baby now in my arms, when I see our family structure, I see this, this man who serves the Lord and and this and and me and now this child who's full of joy and who's full of life and now I go God like my life had so much more meaning than I thought it did and I was being robbed I could have gotten robbed of so many things and the enemy wanted to rob me of the opportunity to be who God called me to be and so 
I can tell you which, with much joy, it took so much processing and I'm still in a process because we all are. Yes. But I've encountered God to such a, a way. I've encountered this God that never lets me down. This God who's involved in the very foundation of my home, the very foundation of my marriage, the very foundation of being me and a mom, the very foundation of it all. And I have so much peace in knowing that God has done something mighty in my life, has done something incredible in my life. And I continue to just submit and surrender under his leadership because I know that he's been good and mm -hmm. he continues to be good. So it doesn't matter what he asks of me. Mm -hmm. Everything is worth it. Everything is worth it. Like even after all the pain and everything I've gone through, it was all worth it. It was so worth it. So. Wow. Nicole, I'm like in tears right now. <laughs> I just, I am overwhelmed with so many emotions. I'm just trying to like, to like separate it, you know? And I'm, I am so blessed by your life. I am so blessed. Like, I feel the power of God here in this room. You know, I think, I don't know. I just. You know, I, I personally went through my struggles with identity as well. And there's been moments where, like, even, like, the past will just come and, like, you know, come in and be like, remember when you were attracted to this girl growing up? You know, and, like, all those lies, you know? My heart is overwhelmed because I felt like everything that you said, and even though you went through way more than I did, I felt like... Like, my heart was was connected with yours. You know what I mean? Like, the same internal struggle that, that you dealt with, you know, I also dealt with as well. And I feel like, mm -hmm. I just feel God hugging me right now only because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the enemy, he, he, he puts this lie that we're the only ones going through it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that no one understands, you know, what, we, what we've been through. And, and that's me, you know, constantly to this day it's just like but I'm the only one going through this I'm the only one you know you know just being reminded of the of the past and the struggles and you're the only one struggling and but you know I just I am my heart is overwhelmed right now you know with your testimony and I just want to thank you um for sharing that because I feel I feel like maybe I'm still going through a process of healing myself with who God says I am and I feel like through your story, I was able to grasp that. And, and now from there, I could just, you know, just move forward and, and ask God to, to, to finalize, you know, this, this whole healing yeah. process of insecurity and identity. But what I wanted to ask you was like, what can we do as parents, you know? Um, yeah. And thank you for letting me vent. <laughs> Like, it was like so much information at once and I was just mm -hmm. I just needed to cry to like release my feelings because it was just your story it's just amazing but I guess what I what I struggle with right now is my daughter what can we continue to do as mothers as women as women of God you know to help our daughters and and sons yeah. For those that are listening with yeah. this type of identity you know situation you know as, as mothers as parents i think um 
we we know what the what the word says you know you teach a child in the way that they, they should go and they will not depart from its ways yeah. and um i think one of the things that i've i've, I've told my, the lord and, and i've told myself is god's hand is way way bigger than my own and mm-hmm. um and that's how it's always been and that's how it'll always be and um you know i look at my daughter and i look at her i, I look at her at her face and and I look at her when she's looking at me when we're praying. And I think that the best way that I can, that I can think about, you know, ensuring that, or at least my part, ensuring my part that I'm doing the most that I can do to ensure that she's going to reach who God's wanting her to be or the encounter that she's going to have is modeling it, modeling it for her, modeling a life that's completely surrendered to God, modeling a life that, that only trusts in God, because at the end of the day, we, we model it. And for example, even in the midst of what I was going through, even in the midst of what I was doing, I always respected my aunt and I always respected her authority and I always respected her love and her, her you know, I, I respected her. And in the midst of everything, deep inside, I knew that I was going to come back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, that I was going to do so because of the of the words she had spoken over me mm-hmm. and of the fact that I knew that the Bible said that his word does not return back void. Yes. And so I knew whether I like it or not, whether I liked it in the midst of what I was going through and me trying to run away from God, I might not have liked that. Yeah. But the truth was I knew that I was going to have to face the Lord at some point. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think that when we model a life that's completely surrendered to the Lord, when we declare life and we declare everything that we need to declare in the word over our children, then at some point that word has to return back void. And that, that, that's the same for the person who has, you know, who has their children at home, who are in the ministry, as it is for those who are addicted in the streets. Yeah. This, the word returns back. The word will not return back void. The, mm-hmm. the Bible says that, Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass. Amen. You know, his promises will never pass. His prophecies will never pass. Why did I want to run away so bad mm-hmm. uh, away from prophecy? Well, because I knew, I knew <laughs> I had to confront, oh my God, another prophecy that says that I'm going to touch the nations, mm-hmm. another prophecy. Like that's how I saw it back then. But guess what? I knew these words are legit. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we, we have to model our lives to be completely surrendered to the Lord and take our authority to be who God called us to be over our children Amen. to cancel, cancel things, to not expose them to things. Yet if we do because of our negligence or of our ignorance, then knowing how to counterattack what yeah. we might've just done. And so that's something that, that, um, that I think is important that I think we need to do. And, um, uh, that we need to do as parents and as, as family members and as, as whoever, we just need to ensure that we're modeling it and that we take our place, you know, that we take our, we take our authority um, in our homes to be able to teach our children and to show them who God is. And my, my, my hope is that my life will always preach Jesus to, to my daughter and to yes. everybody who watches. You know, there's, a, there's a song right now by, uh, I think it's uh, Stephanie Gretzinger, and um, and that that song has been really ministering to my heart because she says in the song that 
at the end of her days, she wants everything that everybody says about her to be centered on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I want it to be done. I want my kids and my husband to know and to be witnesses that there's Jesus in my life. And that's hard because that means at home in the very vulnerable place where I get to be myself, where I get to kick off my shoes and let off my hair. And maybe, you know, these are the people that see you in your worst, in your worst colors. Mm -hmm. Yet if we model God and if we model forgiveness and if we model really what God wants us to, to be and do, then I think he will do the rest. And we have to understand that we can't shelter our kids and control them for the rest of their lives because they're not ours like that they're god's children we're only stewards so that's our understanding and that's what we i feel need to do wow that's good that's good stuff girl i know i'm not the only one that has struggled with this and i know i'm not the only one that is struggling with this so what what word of encouragement or what steps can we take um for those that are listening and struggling with their identity, but they're Christian, especially, you know, how can they, Mm -hmm. how can they get through this? You know? Yeah. I think there's so many things that I could say. Um, However, I think we, one of the things that I talk to people and one of the things that I've been kind of talking quite a bit um, about lately is being real with ourselves, you know, being very honest with ourselves because we can very honestly be very good at hiding who we really are or yeah. fooling ourselves to to think okay yeah no I, I'm okay I, I don't I don't struggle with that and I don't need that or mm-hmm. no the enemy don't didn't didn't just the enemy didn't just knock on the door to see if my house was empty or full or to see mm-hmm. if to see if things are in order or to see if God is really um on the throne of my heart and I think um I was I was talking to to some people uh, that that I assist and that I help in a life group that I have um, uh, called Unbound. And it's helping uh, young people uh, that have either struggled, have been in the lifestyle, are struggling um, with their with their sexual identity. And I was talking to them and I said, what if we took the sexual identity and the sexual God off of the throne of our hearts and put God on the throne of our hearts? What would happen? And I think oftentimes we make the mistake of taking everything, taking everything that we're struggling with, everything that we're doing, everything that we're not doing, and putting it at the throne and the centrality of our lives and being like, oh my God, everything is about that. Mm -hmm. But what if we don't do that? And what if we, recognizing, yes, I have a struggle, recognizing, yes, there's something going on, but let me just put my eyes on Jesus. Let me just put my eyes on God and see what happens. Let me just put God on the throne where he belongs to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let me just do that. I'm not asking anybody to change their attire or to change their way of thinking or to change their identity or to change their attraction. I, I don't ask anybody to do that. I don't. But all that I ask people to do is put your eyes on getting to know who he is, getting to know who God is, getting to know, understanding okay, so who are you? Why do you love me? Why should I love you in return? Like, why? And and when we put him on the throne, then things start to make sense. Yeah. And he starts to take little by little, he starts to see, to draw us in. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, right? So when we start drawing near to him and when we start 
putting ourselves, submitting ourselves under his leadership, he starts doing things in anybody. It doesn't matter if you're struggling with your sexual identity, if you're struggling with your identity, if you're struggling with alcoholism, if you're struggling with anger, anxiety, whatever. You know, my, my sister, for example, she's going through, through this right now. And I don't ask her to change anything. But I did say, I, say, I said, you know what? Why don't you surrender to God? Why don't you put God where he belongs in your life? And mm -hmm. she's been doing it. And guess what? God is doing his part. The Holy mm -hmm. Spirit will always do his part. Amen. The Holy Spirit will always do. He, he, he doesn't go, no, I, I don't want to. You're too dirty, too ugly. Your sin is too much. I don't want to work with you. Mm -hmm. But if we dare put our eyes on Jesus, is we, if we dare put our eyes on him, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, mm -hmm. man, what would happen? And that's my encouragement to anybody. Just listen, take a, take a pause in your life. Take a pause in your life. And number one, be real with yourself. What's going on inside? What's really going on in your mind? What's really going on in your heart? And number two, put God where he needs to be. Just give him your attention. Yes. Give him the opportunity to do what he wants to do in your life. And when you do that, you will see that the lack of satisfaction, that the lack of peace, that the lack of joy that you've been going through has a reason and he will heal it. He will heal it. He is a good God. Like that's just who he is. And the foundation of who he is is to be good to us and to be a good father. And when we put ourselves in that predicament, if we think about this is who Jesus is. Jesus, I remember I heard somebody ask uh, Ravi Zacharias. They asked him, so, you know, like what should we do about transgender people? And he said, well, what if we were to say, that Jesus could identify with a transgendered individual because the centrality of a transgendered individual is that they feel like they're in the wrong body, mm -hmm. right? And so what about the fact that Jesus was in the wrong body? Jesus did not belong in a human body. And yet because of what he needed to do, he entered a human body to be able to come close to us because it, had he not come close in a human body, we would not have been able to connect with him. We would not be able to have that fellowship with him. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I learned about this beautiful concept. And in Jewish uh, ways, uh, a shepherd actually has to use the, um, the sheep's clothing and the smell of the sheep. They wear it so that they can come close to the sheep because they have to become familiar with the sheep. So Jesus had to put on a body that was a corrupted body, a body of sin because of what Adam did to be able to come close to us. And yet in his being a human, in him relying on the Holy Spirit, he never sinned. He never broke away from who he was. And that is the, the centrality of what we need to look at. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's let our identity be found in him. Because at the end of the day, you can run, you can do 50 years, 70 years trying to establish your own identity. And yet you were not the maker of your own vehicle. God was the maker. And he's the only one that knows your make and your build and what you were made to do. So, Amen. Nicole, my heart is overwhelmed. It's full. You have blessed my life. You have blessed me. I'm like texting my, my husband um 
just while you were while you were speaking to Mark Vega, and I'm like, yo, this girl has has impacted my life in an hour and twelve minutes, and I am. <laughs> I just want to say that you have not only you know blessed you know the listeners that are going to hear you within a few weeks, but I'm I'm telling you that I'm I'm leaving full, and I just appreciate everything. Um, I appreciate you. Um, telling us your story and sharing your heart with us. Um, but before, you know, obviously before we end this chat, I wanted you to to share um, what what you're doing, what you're doing up in Gainesville so that um, others may follow and support and obviously sure. um, be with you on that. Yeah, I, um, I've recognized more than ever that um, the things that the Lord has trusted me with and that he speaks to me and the privacy of of my home and my prayer closet, some of those things are, are to be shared because there's a lot of people that are going through so many things and, um, and they need somebody to be able to rely on, to be able to trust. And um, we, we hope to be that, you know, um, myself, our pastor, our ministry, we hope to be that. But even beyond that, um, even beyond Ignite, which is also a resource for young people, even beyond Ignite Life Center, which is a resource for people here in the community, um, even beyond our pastors and their ministry, uh, the Lord is, it has been, in, he has been putting in my heart for a long time, number one, to write a book. So I have to be obedient about that very soon. But in addition to that, um, in addition to that, one of the things that the Lord has, you know, inspired me to do at this time is, um, is to be able to, um, to be able to build a blog uh, and to build a a podcast blog in in the same website, it's going to be called the rescued legacy, the rescued legacy.com. And so um, I want to talk about how God rescued my legacy. I have a legacy. You have a legacy. We all have a legacy of what the Lord wants to do in our lives, of what God wants to do through us and to us. And because of that, how he rescued my, my legacy and so many other things having to do with that. And so I want to share uh, my life and what the Lord is impacting in, in my heart um, for this time. And even every so often share from the point of my husband and, uh, and the whole family units uh, because our legacy was rescued and we want to share that with the world. So. Amen. Nicole, that's awesome. So for you listeners out there, <laughs> follow Nicole and her ministry and rescued legacy, um, her blog and podcast. Um, Nicole, just thank you again for everything. I thank you for this conversation. I thank you for, your realness, your raw rawness, you know, and, um, and I just thank sure. you. Thank you. I thank you so much. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you so much, Nicole, for sharing your heart with us. And thank you all for tuning into Benevolence, where kindness matters and all are welcome to the table. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Benevolence Podcast or at I am Ceci Diaz to know a little bit more about me and Benevolence. Benevolence Podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, and Stitcher. Stay tuned for our new Benevolent Wednesday feature, where different women share their stories of what God has done in their life. Stay tuned for next Monday's episode of Benevolence. You don't want to miss it. Bye!